Spencer Bell from the team of Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Tuesday. That is his weekly Monday appearance, except on a Tuesday is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And in what follows, uh, as he does every week, Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball. In particular, we consider the case of Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, of course, uh, threw a no-hitter that was almost a perfect game this past week. And despite the fact that it was not technically a perfect game, it was a lot better as far as certain feeling independent measures uh, would suggest than other perfect games that have actually been pitched. We struggle with that. We also look at another excellent left-hander, David Price. The Rays will likely trade him, and there's a possibility, it's not definite, but there's a possibility that uh, to whichever team Price is traded, uh, that team will trade him in the offseason. That's a possibility. It's not a foregone conclusion. It's just a possibility. So I'll relax for a second. Uh, finally, anyone who listens to the entirety of what follows uh, will be given a gift, and that gift is understanding the context of this comment, courtesy Dave Cameron. Uh, I think for a while there weren't seats on bicycles. I mean, you know, there are people who have done dumb things throughout history. It's Fangrass Audio. It features Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. podcast i am you feeling good yeah you ready to make it happen yes <laughs> it's that time of the week well no it's not that no. was yesterday that was actually yesterday yeah. yeah can you do you know where i'm from, do you know from which sovereign nation i'm calling you i'm gonna guess bulgaria yeah it's you got it i'm staying here forever you should see that these guys play baseball uh, I, I bet there are some really great prospects in Bulgaria. There are. I right? would like to hear uh, Eno Saras pronounce all their names. Yeah, that would not work out well. It would be, uh, well, it would be amusing is what we could say. Maybe and we I, should come up with like a, an app where Eno gives uh, turn-by-turn directions and has to read street names. Oh, this would they, be popular, I think. They're very diff- I can tell you, so I actually, I'm in Berlin, Germany. Okay. And well, I, so he might actually do pretty good there. Oh, that's true, he might. Oh, yeah. But they are hard to pronounce if you're just a native uh, English speaker. Right, which he is definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think he is, right? <laughs> He's just, I mean, uh, I guess technically. Yeah. I think one of his parents isn't, maybe. Uh, Both of his parents are. Uh, correct. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, we have now, uh, now analyzed all Eno's here. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. Uh, hey, um, let's talk about Clayton Kershaw. Okay. Does Why would we do that? Yeah, well, all right. Well, he uh, pitched, I don't know what day it was. It was sometime in the last week. Uh, yeah, it was like thir- Thursday, I believe. Thursday, all right. Yeah. And, um, Are you eating? Yeah, like I, got a, a, I got a fig here. Is that all right? You're, you're consuming uh, food <laughs> during the podcast? Yeah. Uh, maybe so, talk while I talk, or maybe eat while I talk. I'll do that. Yeah, then, yeah, I'll do that. Don't Smart. talk while you're talking. Sorry, you got a you got a great strategic mind. Yeah. The uh, he did that thing. What uh, I guess it was a no hitter, right? He had 15, 15 strikeouts, no walks. Is that, is that familiar? Yeah, it was basically a perfect game except for Hanley Ramirez sucks at defense. Right. Well, okay. And so you say that, and I always I always feel the need to to ask you to refine your sentiments. Do you really think Hanley Ramirez sucks at defense compared to the entire human population? Um, 
Maybe. I mean, I bet, like, if you were invading a small country, you wouldn't want Hanley Ramirez standing there as your defense. <laughs> You'd probably lots of trained soldiers who are better at, like, defending something than Hanley Ramirez. He'd probably be like, screw this, I'm rich, I'm out of here. Yeah, he would be like that. And yeah. as with most sensible people, but would, um, <laughs> would, uh, no, he's a, he's a, he's better than, if he, if he joined your high school team, yeah, he'd be the best shortstop on that high school team, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, you know, I, my high school team only had nine players, so <laughs> I think, uh, by default, he didn't have a lot of competition. Right. Uh, no, I mean, Hanley Ramirez compared to major league shortstops is not a good defender. And, uh, I think there is actually a case to be made that Don Mattingly screwed Clayton Kershaw in that game because the Dodgers were up eight to nothing. Uh, Hanley Ramirez had been dealing with some injury issues, had been, you know, missed a few days, had been removed from some of the games early. If ever there's a case where you're like, hey, my pitcher is throwing a perfect game. Maybe I should put in the defensive team to help him out. Maybe maybe you take out the bad defender at the position where the ball is hit the most often, uh, especially with an 8 nothing lead uh, when the guy is dealing with injury issues. Uh, you know, not not saying that uh, Mattingly should have absolutely known that Ramirez was going to make an error, but, you know, not the most unusual thing to substitute him out and maybe save Clayton Kershaw's perfect game. That's the uh, that's the same thing as with the the Dwayne Wise move, right? During Mark Gurley's perfect game, yep, right? Um, and, and of course the ball the ball found him. The uh, who else though? I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Who else is a satisfactory defensive shortstop on that club? Uh, well, they have Justins, right? Turner, <laughs> Sellers. They have they have no, no. a variety Turner, of Justins. Yeah, Turner is not. He I don't think he's an improvement at shortstop. I mean, it can't be worse. Could okay. he? I don't know. Do you think D. Gordon's worse? Yes, D. Gordon's worse. I don't think I don't think Justin Turner has played a lot of shortstop. But this is this is a messy portion of the podcast, I grant. <laughs> but it might just actually what it might reveal is that maybe there is not a great uh, substitute for him. Let me tell you. I'll tell you in a second how many games uh, Justin Turner has played at third base this year. Um, okay. What I'll do in the meantime, though, is. Here's the point with regard to Clayton Kershaw, right? Mm-hmm. Is it was a really good game. And it was a really good game. If you look at uh, the the game scores for it, it's maybe you could make an argument using that methodology that it's what the second second best game of all time. Yeah, it's a uh, game score of 102. The only one that was ever higher was Kerry Wood with 105 or 104 in his 20 strikeout performance. Right. And I will note that in Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout performance, the strike zone was approximately the size of Berlin. Yeah, which is a large city. Yeah, which is uh, probably why you chose that city. The um, here's a question: To what degree are you pleased with the degree to which a we'll say for a pitcher, right, the way that his his line, his statistical line from a game, are you pleased to the degree? And I'm talking about runs runs allowed, um, and then maybe hits allowed as part of that too. Um, because these are things over which he has less control. Are you pleased by the degree to which those correlate with the things over which he does have control? Obviously, I mean, I'm sort of quizzing you about a pretty central idea to sabermetrics, but but the pitcher has to do – pitcher does a certain amount of work, but the results do not necessarily reflect the quality of his performance. Correct. I would say if you are trying to judge how well a pitcher pitched on any given day, starting with runs allowed is not a good idea at all. I mean, if that's your beginning point where you say, this pitcher gave up three runs in seven innings, I have no idea how well he pitched. Like, that doesn't really tell me anything. I have 
almost no new information. I know he wasn't a disaster. Like, he didn't walk everybody in the first inning and get pulled after 20 pitches. But you know basically nothing. Uh, I would say larger samples, you know, seasons, careers, definitely. Runs aloud tells you most of what you need to know. On a game-by-game information, tells you almost nothing. Right. You know, I, I was reminded of a post that – do you remember this post that uh, Tango Tiger wrote for us, uh, wrote for Fangrass? This is almost four years ago. No, three years ago. He wrote a, he wrote a piece including um, – uh, it, it was a sort of a revision of the game score uh, with a view towards uh, perhaps um, correlating it more strongly with – some uh, principles, um, you know, borrowed from FIP and WAR, right? Correct. Uh, you remember this post? I do, uh, yeah. mostly because I've talked to Appleman, and I think there's like four alternate variations of how to calculate game score. Yeah. Uh, and we've tried to decide if we want to adopt one or uh, make one like the Fangrass game score, but it's not entirely clear that one is like the best. It's not right because the first one is runs. Yeah. And that's fine, and that that tells you one thing, right? But it doesn't tell you, I don't know, do how much, what percent does that tell you about the pitcher, usually? Like, what are the chances it tells you something about the pitcher? Yeah, on an individual game basis, I don't know, ten, fifteen percent. Oh, that's it. Okay, right, well, that's yeah. not right. Uh, and then there's strikeouts and walks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, well, strikeouts and walks are really important for a pitcher, right. and those are. Uh, he almost certainly exerts the most influence over those things. Uh, of course, um, some people, and I'm sure one of them would be Jeff Sullivan, would exert that or would suggest that the catcher uh, plays a role as well. Yeah, I mean the catcher certainly does play a role, a much diminished role compared to the pitcher. But right, and then I guess the umpire, as you mentioned with regard to Kerry Wood. Right. Um, the other and the batters themselves. It's it's much easier to strike out eleven Padres than it is eleven Rockies. Right. The um, so the the problem with the strikeouts and walk ones, so far as I could tell, is that it works on one bound. So like the Roger Clemens twenty strikeout game, and I guess it would also be the case with the Kerry Wood strikeout game, would be worth those would be worth like a hundred points almost exactly, hundred four. The problem is that to have a game score of zero, and those are great, right? To have to have a game score of zero, which you would assume would happen if you know if if the game score system is d- devised. Uh, Equally, to some degree, equally weighted if it forms a bell curve of, you know, occurrences. The other end would be the equal and opposite version would be zero strikeout, 14-walk performance in five innings. Yeah, I don't think that will start will ever happen. No, it wouldn't. What's, no. the, what's the upper bound? What's the, most, what's the most walks you've ever seen personally before a guy, before a guy got pulled? There's a few where guys are throwing no-hitters with, like, seven or eight, right? And they stay in the game for nine innings because they have the no-hitter. Like, I think A.J. Burnett yeah, he did had that, where he had, like, yeah. like an eight-walk no-hitter or something. Um, I think that the – I don't think I've ever seen a double-digit walk total. I think eight or nine is probably the highest I've ever seen. Right, and as you're suggesting, that that elevated walk total is really only tolerated if something else is going bizarrely right. Yeah, I mean, just from a pitch count perspective, you can't. I mean, it's almost impossible to walk 10 guys and stay in the game because, like, you know, just at the bare minimum, that's 40 pitches. Realistically, it's probably more like 50 or 55, uh, maybe even 60, um, just in those walks, right? So that now, if you only have a 100 110-pitch pitch limit, you've got 50 pitches for everything else. Uh, that's going to, you know, let you get maybe 
12 outs, maybe, if you're super efficient and you don't give up any hits, um, which, you know, that's four innings. So. Right. right, That's yeah, that's not so good. And then and then the the other one he had, uh, the third version he had was uh, FIP, a, a sort of FIP. So usually, you, so you just use the, essentially the standard, the sort of core of FIP, right, which is includes home runs and um, and walks, or strikeouts and walks. And then, uh, and that's, you know, I guess that that's a pretty good one, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're going to uh, just try to isolate what the pitcher did, starting with FIP is the best place to start. It's not the ultimate; that it certainly ignores information. But if you're if you want to know how did this pitcher do this day, I would say FIP is the place to start. Well, could you and do, then make adjustments from there? And how would you, for you, how would what are the merits of that of doing like a FIP-based game score relative to? An XFIP based game score, right? Where you say, well, okay, well, home runs are large acts, right? Uh, they, it, um, you know, we've talked about on the, um, uh, from an offensive point of view with a player like Justin Upton. If Justin Upton's hitting home runs, obviously he's quite valuable, but because that's like his main skill, when he's not hitting home runs, he's not doing much else. Because home runs are, a, I think there's a word for this sort of thing in the statistical sciences, maybe, but anyway. The they, point, they have a high magnitude. Of, of impact. Yeah, sure. They have a high magnitude of impact, okay. and so so that can ruin. So two home runs could ruin a guy's start if he's pitched uh, well. Otherwise, so what if you did it xFIP? We say, well, there's a little bit of bad luck they gave up those home runs. I guess it depends on the question you're asking. I think generally with game score type metrics, you're asking how a pitcher did in retrospect, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with an xFIP type metric. You're no longer asking that question necessarily. Now you're asking what talent level can we infer from how he pitched today? If you give up three home runs, you pitch badly. I don't care what else you did. <laughs> it doesn't matter what else you did, uh, unless you pitched 15 innings or something. Uh, but if you so, go seven innings and you no walks and nine strikeouts, but you give up three home runs, based on the average of 1.4 runs per home run, you just allowed 4.2 runs in seven innings. Just based on the home runs allowed, not on, based on anything else. Um, that's that's not so good. And so home runs are bad for your team. They're not the fault of your defenders. Uh, they might be, you know, maybe not sustainable in predicting future performance. But if we were to say we're trying to carve up uh, credit and blame for performance on this day, basically 100% of the blame for home runs has to go to pitchers. And pitchers are, and home runs are really bad. <laughs> so you're you're saying. Almost all of the weight of this really terrible thing that happened multiple times goes to the pitcher. It's very hard to pitch well and give up multiple home runs. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that seems reasonable. Uh, yeah, the home runs are bad, by the way. Usually you notice with a guy, uh, if he's able to hit a lot of home runs, um, he'll produce a lot of sort of um, linear weight type runs for his team. Yeah, home runs are the quickest way to add value. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Or lose value for a pitcher. For pitching, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a linear weights one too, which I guess bears some similarity to the FIP, uh, the FIP calculation. Right. Uh, insofar as it includes walks and home runs, but I think it's also maybe hits is the other one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's basically like a woba allowed uh, okay. kind of system, which I think has some merit, uh, and you know is kind of. If you were going to say, okay, well, I don't like the idea of FIP because it excludes all hits on balls in play, and obviously it's unfair to guys like Kershaw, who generally do limit their hits on balls in play, and it might overrate, you know, pitchers like Roberto Hernandez or something, um, who we don't necessarily want to give credit to when they're routinely giving up line drives all over the field. 
Um, but then the problem comes if you do like a Woba allowed or a linear weights type thing that includes hits on balls in play, you're now uh, assigning the value of defenders to the pitcher. And this is uh, something that I think baseball has done for a very long time with ERA, where we just say everything that happens on the mound while the pitcher is pitching goes to him. And I think that's just not a good way to evaluate the individual pitcher uh, performance when there's so many uh, variables on on hits and balls and play that are not the pitcher. Right. So what do you think? Uh, so back to uh, so back to the Clay Kershaw situation, right? Yeah. Uh, and first, I want to say that uh, yeah, Turner actually has played the three games there. He started three games for the Dodgers there. I don't think he's superior though. Well, um, the question isn't whether he's superior; it's whether he's superior to Hanley Ramirez. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah, I don't know if anyone. They have Arab Arab well, I don't think he was on the roster. I don't think that he was on the roster but, that day. Yeah, he's but he would have. I mean, he's like a yeah, they're a defensive specialist. If he was around and like if he was in the city of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. they should have like sent a bus to go get him and put him in the game. And Carlos Trenfel's that team. I don't know if he was. Uh, Carlos Trenfel is not a good defender. Not a good defender. Well, there you go. They they have a number of below average defenders. As it appears to be what what we're. Revealing yeah, here. Carlos Trainfell, I will note, has an amazing arm and should be pitching. Oh, but, really? You think that's in uh, his future? I think he should have been converted to pitching a while ago. He okay. throws very hard, and could, if you put him on the mound and he had like any kind of mechanics, he's one of these guys who could be like Sean Doolittle or something. And it's like, hey, where did the hundred and two come from? So okay, so right, so with Clayton Kershaw, what, one of the questions, right, is in in the 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 brief post, but the brief but enthusiastic post um, that you wrote. To this point, you know, in, in reaction to, to Kershaw's um, to Kershaw's start, excellent start, his no hitter, is how do we remember this as a start that was uh, that reflects the the quality of it, right? Because we have no hitters, and when we think no hitter, we, this is a good shorthand, yeah. And mm-hmm. then perfect hand isn't even is is also a shorthand, and is an even more um, I think you know, sort of more accurately depicts how well a pitcher pitched because he didn't allow anyone to get on base, which is good to be able to do. Right. But we we have buckets for these two events. Right, and it's yeah, and it's it it and they and they generally speaking they're not bad. But as you mentioned, like AJ Burnett's no hitter in which he also walked seven or eight, whatever. That's probably it's actually not really a great start, and it also right. probably screwed up a lot of stuff because. He was very young, and he, I, I don't know how many pitches he threw, but I don't think you could throw fewer than, what, 130 at that point, right? Yeah, I think, I think he was in the 140s. Yeah, right. So that's not great. But um, so how do you – is there a way is there a way for you to essentially brand or is there a way for you to celebrate that start, the Clayton Kershaw start, so that uh, people remember it or it's sort of – it's part of the, the collective memory – in a way that that represents um, his his achievement. So basically, what you're saying is we need to come up with a new term or a new bucket for great starts that do not fall into uh, the other labels that we give to great starts. I'm not saying. Like a, I mean, I'm not saying we need to, but I'm saying that that you know we, it's nice to it's nice for the for the awards. Or you know the the sort of our memories to reflect uh, the reality of the thing that happened, right? No, I think this is a good thing. I think this should be a brainstorming session where you and I come up with the new name for the not perfect game, no hitter, 
performance that should go down in history. We should call it the Sestuli or something. I don't, I don't want to do it. Well, this is funny because I don't really care about these games. But <laughs> right. I think if we were going to call them the Sestuli, it would be like um, double A or lower performance from a guy five foot four or less who was drafted after the 30th round. That right. Would be and who had like a nine strikeout zero walk performance but allowed five runs anyway over six. Right. Over yeah. six it allowed at least three home runs <laughs> in a pitcher's ballpark yeah. in the Carolina League. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so okay, so but the so I, I think this is the point, right? And 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 I get I mean to some degree game scores do reflect this. Right. Don't they? Because the idea of the game score and maybe this we should say this is this should be the the primary goal of the game score is in the is in the absence of a great deal of information or in the absence you know you don't have enough time to say what's well, what are the three best scores? And you can't, you know, if you want to talk about Clayton Kershaw, as you say, well, look at he didn't allow any hits and he had all these strikeouts, but he didn't walk anybody. It was just this one error. It's very prosaic, right? You want the one thing to call it, and you can't call it a perfect game. You can call it a no hitter, but there are a bunch of those every year, and so you want to say, well, look at you got to get a game score of honor. I mean, maybe game score is fine. Maybe we call it the fu game. Where the pitcher just spent the, the entire game saying F you to the hitters. Uh, you know, maybe not, uh, probably not going to catch on widely, but, uh, you know. But on uh, 18, 18 and over websites? Right, yeah. yeah that's fine. Yeah. I, you know, I think if, uh, what do we say, dear readers, we are taking applications for the suggested name of a new bucket for pitchers' great starts who currently don't fit any other uh, existing bucket. Right, or if, or if some, if for some reason the bucket is not accurate, right? Right. Yes. Because right. because both Clayton Kershaw and AJ Burnett ten years ago threw a no hitter. But what you want to make clear is that they're not the same no hitter. Right. Right. And it, I guess that is what game score is designed to do. But you don't really want to say like here is the the name shouldn't be the best game scores of all time or the best. Uh, Performances by some esoteric metric that no one's ever heard of. It needs a name, like shutdowns and meltdowns or something. It needs oh, like yeah, a, that's a good, yeah, yeah. you know, like we need to we need to name this thing, or yeah. so our readers who are more creative than us. Should yeah, well, name yeah, this yeah. Thing. I, obviously, I'm not going to make any suggestions right now because that's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, if anyone has suggestions, or I might, I might sit down, maybe I'll pound some out. Maybe I'll pound some out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we'll, let's say, oh yeah, Clayton Kershaw is a good pitcher. And his left hand. This is an expert segue that's um, that you're witnessing right now. Another good left-handed pitcher huh, in the American League uh, is David Price. Dave Campbell. Yes. Yeah. He is good. David Price is good. I think maybe this year his runs runs allowed totals uh, do not are are maybe a bit inflated relative to his fielding independent numbers. Does that sound right? Yes, and if you were looking for a better segue, you could talk about how the home run ball has hurt David Price this year, because right. we talked about the, the value of home runs. Uh, David Price has given up a lot of them, and so therefore he's not pitching as well as he has before. Right. He's, he's allowed more runs than we would assume, despite the fact that he's, uh, produced one, uh, he's produced thus far, uh, what would be the best park adjusted XFIP of his career. Correct. Right. Uh, he's he's uh, basically not walking anyone ever again, and he's mm. got a strikeout rate. Last year, he cut his walk rate way down. The strikeouts went away with it. This year, he's keeping the low walk rate, but now he's striking people out again. Right. So there you go. C- congratulations, David Price. Uh, now, 
you say uh, so David Price is a, there are a couple of conditions that are true about him uh, one is he's quite good which we've briefly discussed another one is that um, his contract is uh, lasts through 2015 and the third, the third condition is that he plays for a team that does not have a lot of money and then the I guess the fourth condition, right? We're on. It's relevant to the third condition. Is that that team is also probably not com- uh, going to be qualifying for the playoffs this year? Right. So basically, what you're setting up is that David Price is going to be traded. Yeah. Right. Well. Yeah. Well, uh, well. So the first question is, what is uh, preventing the Rays merely from saying, "Well, we, we didn't make the playoffs this year, but but we still have a, a good roster." Uh, probably will will have a good roster in 2015. We'll just leave, we'll just have uh, David Price pitch for us next year. Well, I think so. There's two two primary problems with that one. David Price is going to be too expensive for them next year. I mean, he's going to make probably 18, 19, maybe 20 million dollars in arbitration, uh, depending on how he finishes the year. The Rays cannot afford 20 million dollar players. They just can't. I mean, this you know based on their payroll and uh, their need to fill the, the rest of their team with human beings who make money. They can't have $20 million players. So um, they can't afford David Price next year. And then also, even if they could, they should still trade him because the second half of David Price's 2014 season is remarkably valuable to someone and not valuable at all to the Rays. It would essentially be wasting a depreciating asset for them to keep Price and say, okay, because we want to have Price next year, we're going to keep him for the rest of this year when the rest of this year could return them some pretty good young talent and doesn't do them any good at all. So just from a market efficiency standpoint, price should pitch for someone whose 2014 matters because this is still like half of his remaining value and the price, the Rays shouldn't squander that value just in order to have uh, an expensive pitcher on their roster next year. Well, okay, so they so they won't so how much is he making right now? He made 14 this year in arbitration. Right. And you think that's that's is that kind of the upper bound of what they could afford? I mean, I think they could push 16 or 17. I think when they gave Longoria his new long-term deal, they pushed him up to 17 or something. Uh, but that doesn't start for a few more years. I think, you know, they can have one or maybe two players making around 15 million a year as long as they're under 100 million. But 20 million for a pitcher for them doesn't make any sense. What if, what if they did this? What if they traded him? Cause you said he, he, you know, he has very little value for them in the second half. He might actually hurt them because he'll <laughs> hurt their draft position. Uh, by helping them win more games than they otherwise would, and then they just uh, trade back for him for next year, right? They've saved half of a, a year's salary, which you said is about fourteen, so they saved seven million dollars. And then if they they can give him twenty million next year, and they would in effect be paying him the fourteen million that they would have been paying, or even the thirteen million they'd, about that they would be paying him this year. Yeah, most major league teams do annual budgets. They don't do rolling budgets. You can't take money from one year and apply it to the next because they work on fiscal years that end generally at the end of October. Um, so, I mean, certainly you could argue that the organization should use a different accounting method and it would be more efficient for people to be able to roll money over from one year to the next. Generally, it doesn't work that way. Usually a team will say, here's how much money you can spend from this November to this October, and when it's gone, it's gone, and then we'll give you a new set of, uh, a new amount of money next year. Um, I think more realistically, uh, teams that are going to want to acquire David Price um, might not want to pick up seven million dollars for you know three months worth of salary, and if the Rays are trying to maximize the talent they're getting in return, they'll get more interested teams if they say we'll pay we'll pay the freight for David Price the rest of this year. We'll pay the seven million dollars. You just have to give us an extra good prospect. I mean, this is 
uh, how the Indians got Carlos Santana, basically, is they gave the Dodgers Casey Blake and said, you don't even have to pay for him. We'll pay a salary, um, but you have to give us this really good prospect who's turned into a pretty good player. Uh, so I think that's probably what the Rays will do instead, is say, um, instead of cost savings, we don't really care about saving that $7 million because it's gone anyway, and we can't apply it to next year's budget. Uh, we will pay it for you, and then you know teams who might not have a lot of financial flexibility will give up more in return. Right. So do you, uh, one one needs to note though that um, if you're trading a player, you need to, uh, to identify a trade partner, right? Uh, I don't know. They come to you. I think. <laughs> okay, well, fine. But there needs there has to be a trade partner, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. And the, the it's not a uh, it's not an infinite pool. Right. Uh, usually, you're going to confine it to Major League Baseball, so it's 29 teams, right? You know that you're only starting out with anyway. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if a player's ever been traded to like you know the Atlantic League or the Japanese League. Maybe that has happened, but in this, I case, mean, they, you, you can sell a contract to Japan, but usually yeah. that's not a player you would trade to other teams. Right. Now, uh, so that's 29 teams, and only certain of them are competing, right? And only certain of them have the money to afford David Price. Correct. Yeah, so that seems to be two limiting factors. And as you bring this up, a uh, piece you wrote for Fox, I guess, uh, one of the problems is that the teams with the most money and which might have the most payroll flexibility are not the ones uh, which have the best odds of qualifying for the playoffs. Yeah, so since I wrote the post, I will note a qualifier. When I wrote that last week, I was talking about the teams who would maybe most need a pitcher like David Price. I think the Oakland A's would be at the top of the list. Maybe they don't have necessarily the pieces to acquire them if they're not going to give up Addison Russell, but no team in baseball could use David Price as much, or at least when I wrote the post, as much as the A's. I mean, and they're almost a lock to make the playoffs uh, of some sort, at least the wild card game. They'll probably win the division, or at least they have a good chance at it. They have a good rotation, but they don't necessarily have a number one. I mean, Scott Casimir is very good. <laughs> Sonny Gray is very good, but neither of these guys are Clayton Kershaw or maybe even David Price. Um, so I think Price would immediately upgrade their their chances of competing in a game one of the playoffs against someone else. Um, and I think they're in win-now mode. And, you know, you're probably never going to have these kinds of seasons from Brandon Moss and Coco Crisp and Josh Donaldson and all these guys at the same time. Uh, this isn't a super young team that they've rebuilt through their farm system. This is kind of their window, and I think they're going to go for it. So for me, I was kind of pointing out that there are teams like Oakland uh, who aren't going to want David Price for next year at $20 million either, who could really use him this year. Since I wrote the post, the St. Louis Cardinals' entire rotation got decimated. Apparently they got into like a fist fight and they all injured their arms or something. Uh, but Jamie Garcia and Michael Walker are now both on the disabled list for extended periods of time. So the St. Louis Cardinals are now the obvious fit of a team who needs him, who has excess talent to give, and who could afford him for next year. Um, if he doesn't end up in St. Louis now, I'll be surprised. Yeah, so... So that's a, that's a good point with, with regard the Cardinals. Their uh, their organizational talent is is pretty crazy. They have a lot of extra players. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They almost have. They have too many players. I mean, they I guess do you can have never too many really. Have, you can never really. You can never really have too many because obviously because you can trade them. But they have a. I mean, it's a, the best problem to have. Yeah. No. I mean, right. Trying to figure out where to put all your talented guys is the problem that you want to have. But it is a problem. I think, uh, and we've seen kind of in their outfield is. They don't really know who they want their outfield to be. It's been Peter Burgess in center, and then John Jay in center, and then back to Burgess, and then, you know, some people want to put Oscar Tavares in center. Uh, Alan Craig's playing right field, but maybe he should play first base, except for Matt Adams is there. They've got, like, a logjam of players who play 
these kind of three positions. I think you could argue that maybe they could use a third baseman and move Matt Carpenter back to second base because Colton Wong and Mark Ellis haven't been very good this year, and, and Wong is hurt again. Um, so I think, you know, how they distribute their talent around the roster is not necessarily set in stone, and I think we can see a pretty radically different Cardinals team in the second half than we've seen in the first half. You know, you, you figure at any given point, right, there are probably um, there are about 750 players um, who are above replacement level by definition, right? Well, there's probably more than that, but yeah. But, I mean, there's, there's 750 rostered players at any given point. Well, I think a lot of those r- rostered players probably are hanging around replacement level. I mean, you're talking about like the 12th end guy. And then you have all these prospects who are well above replacement level, but certainly are not in the major leagues because they're developing and, you right. know, it's semantics, but yes, okay, right. move on. So say, let's say, let's just, I just want to say, say there's a fixed number of players who, right. like today, on this yeah. day, Tuesday, June, whatever, are above replacement level, not at replacement level, above replacement level. Doesn't it seem like the Cardinals have a very high, per, a relatively high percentage of those, whatever, 750 players. Yeah, they have 730 of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they have all but 20. No, I think, like, the Cardinals have enviable depth at multiple positions. I mean, we've seen this, like, you know, they when they wanted another outfielder, okay, we'll call up Randall Gritchick. Okay, he didn't hit, let's call up someone else. Okay, he's not hitting, let's call up someone else. Like, they have this parade of guys to try. Uh, now that Garcia and Waka are hurt, they're calling up Marco Gonzalez and, uh, they're just, they have this like almost endless supply of interesting young players coming up from the minor leagues, uh, who, you know, might not be awesome, but are, are maybe at least worth looking at. Where most teams, someone gets hurt, they're like, oh, well, crap. Yeah, right. We're gonna have to, well, even with the A's, I mean, Brad Mills is part of their rotation now, right? Right, who they had to acquire from the Brewers for a dollar because right. they needed some pitching depth. Right, but and, and and I think that Brad Mills offers something. Uh, a replacement level left arm. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, he, I mean yeah. he has an interesting profile insofar as he's posted very excellent strikeout to walk numbers at least in recent years, and uh, simultaneous to that, I think has. A, I don't know what he actually threw in that most recent start, but in 2012 he was throwing 84 and a half miles per hour, averaging on his fastball. Yeah, he doesn't throw hard. No, he doesn't. Um, no. Okay, yeah. So, all right. So you think David Price? So David Price, at that point, like there was that. This was the the brief window before the Cardinals' uh, rotation dissolved. Uh, it was a chance to get trades. Now, would the Cardinals want to keep uh, David Price for next year too? I think so. I think you know, the Cardinals are one of these teams that has a not a not an ending window, but a, a, a window that's at least closing. Matt Holiday is getting older. Um, Adam Wainwright's not going to be great forever. Yadier Molina's on the wrong side of 30. Uh, their, their best players are mostly older. They have some really good young players, but their stars are not young. And I think this is a team that is going to be in win-now mode for the next couple of years. Price will fit into their payroll. Uh, they can, they're a team that can afford $20 million, $20 million for David Price, mostly because all of their other great players are underpaid. Uh, they've done a really good job getting Adam Wainwright to sign a way below market deal and Yadier Molina's deal, which looked crazy at the time, is actually a steal. And that holiday, not this year necessarily, but has been more productive than his contract for most of, most of it. Um, so I think, you know, they could afford to keep price and not have to flip him this winter. I mean, they could. They could still choose to do that. Uh, but I think they're a team that could say, okay, we're going to go Wainwright, price, hopefully Waka, uh, for the next couple of years and see, see where that takes us. Okay. Uh, I just want to ask you uh, one last thing. For uh, you, you definitely almost fulfilled your 
uh, your obligations here. Uh, we're talking about one Tampa Bay Rays left-hander, former Tampa Bay Rays left-hander, uh, Alex Torres, Alexander Torres. Mm-hmm. Alex Torres uh, wore a padded hat. Yes. Uh, during an appearance, uh, what, just a couple days ago? Yeah, Sunday, I think. Yeah. And uh, which is, makes sense, right? He, didn't he, he got whacked in the head, is that right? He, he did, yes. Yeah. And you don't want to repeat that? Um, nope. Um, which is fine. What do you, what are, for you are the uh, the odds that uh, this will be adopted? Zero. <laughs> so I I mean I've worn one of these padded hats. They're huge and heavy and mm-hmm. not comfortable. Uh, and I'm not a major league pitcher trying to focus on you know getting some guy out who's you know swings really hard and hits balls in my head. Uh, I cannot imagine that this thing in this form is going to take hold. I think the idea of some kind of padded hat. Uh, or some kind of technology that's going to allow pitchers to be protected will become a thing in the next few years. I don't think this is the thing. That's not the thing. This is not the thing. This is something. It, it is not like it is like uh you know, if you wanted roll bars in your car because you're like really afraid of rolling your SUV or something. Like they exist, but you know, most human beings do not have roll bars in their car. It is a safety feature you could have, right. not one that is used. This is a thing that maybe Alex Torres will keep using, and maybe a couple other pitchers will adopt, but. Uh, I think, you know, it's worth noting. Alex Torres is not the only guy to get hit in the head. The only guy to wear this thing. The only guy, yeah. The, uh, and, uh, I don't know, I mean, is it as necessary? Do you think? I mean, how do you think it compares to, like, the goalie, like a goalie's mask in hockey? Is it as important? Well, I, th- I think a goalie's mask is um, probably necessary for everyday <laughs> survival. Right. Like, I can't imagine any goalie would take them, take, play hockey without one. Just because every single game, they're but they used to though. Yeah, that was crazy pants. They, they used to not wear gloves in baseball either. It's they, true. It's they, true. They did some weird things. Yeah. Uh, I think for a while there weren't seats on bicycles. I mean, you know, there, people have done dumb things throughout history. I think a goalie mask prevents you from injury every game. A padded pitcher's helmet might prevent you from injury once every couple of years. Right. Okay. That's it. You did it. I I did. You're done. Hooray. Yeah, well, stick around for a second, but uh, in okay. the meantime, but for the purposes of this uh, podcast, you can you you can say goodbye. 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 Thank you, uh, Dave Cameron. That's Dave Cameron, the managing editor of Fangraphs, of course. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.